0: Welcome to the LIBF Financial Education Team podcast. In each episode, we will discuss the key topics that impact on financial education and whenever possible, include guests so we can get their thoughts and ideas too. Thank you for listening and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi Darren, how are you doing? I'm
1: very good, thank you. I'm very good. Very Welcome
0: good, to the London Institute of Banking and Finance Financial Education Team podcast.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me. Uh, this you, is a real privilege, actually. I'm really looking you, forward to it.
0: You are our first external guest, so it's definitely our privilege, 100%. And, and I know we kind of know a bit about you from stuff you've been doing a bit with us, but also just around the world of French education more broadly. But for listeners who are listening who might not know who you are, are you happy to share a bit about your, kind of your journey and what it is you currently do?
1: Yeah, well, I'm just going to try, try and condense this. Uh, like many teenagers... Uh, when I started, I wanted to be a professional footballer. And at 18, I got released from Norwich City. Uh, the year after that, I played for Dagenham Redbridge for a year. And that's what my path was always going to be. And then the year after that, I had a knee injury that kind of I had to retire at 19, 20. And then from there, I went on to do a sports science degree because that was the best thing to do after playing football. And it linked to then become a sports teacher. Many years of not quite knowing why I was, you know, loved nutrition, loved fitness, but again, didn't quite feel that I was doing the right thing at that stage. Did a, uh, an MBA, uh, which took me six years, distance learning to do, took me forever. Very theory-based, a lot to learn there, should have made it more applicable, but we won't go into that. And then with the MBA, I thought, yeah, I, I can now work in the city, just like that. So I um, thought I'd take on a role as a sales consultant and had two or three roles in the city doing that. Didn't really like that. Don't know why. And then I went and thought, right, let's coach football in America for a year. So I went and coached football in America. So I'm going for all these. And I, and I remember being out of the States and I had to come back because the uh, great financial crash happened. And I was going for a three-year visa. And the uh, the issue is that was taken away from me. Uh, so I had to they offered me a three month visa instead of I was going to become an American citizen, green card, et cetera. And then the, the crash happened and I was like, right, well, I'm not I can't live like this. I need I'm going to have to go back to teaching. So 2009, I started the school where I am now and was teaching, started as a PE teacher and for the next between 2009 and 2015 taught there. And then I just needed something different. And in 2014, I started teaching maths. And it was only when the school picked up that I had an MBA. They went, well, why, you know, we've got a space in business. Do you want to teach in business? I went, yeah, why not? Yeah, I, you know, I'd love to. Um, and I just it just made sense at that time. And then all of a sudden, she went, right. You know, she was very marketing, the head of department. And she went, do you want to teach finance? And I said, yeah, of course. I'm pretty decent with numbers and uh, looked at it, and it was at that point, I always remember, it was around about 2015, I'm looking at it, and I'm going, hang on a minute, why Like, why haven't I been taught this before? And why are kids not knowing more about this in terms of finance? I, I was looking at business finance, but in terms of personal finance, and then you'd speak to, because I predominantly uh, teach 16, 17, 18-year-olds, To go, why don't we know this? And it's like, the reason for going into teaching was always to make a difference. So when I played football, it was always to give the opportunity to kids to play football. So for example, I set up a football academy here in the first five years here to give kids the chance to play in the FA Youth Cup, which is unheard of for a school, but that's kind of what I'm about, I guess. But then when I looked at finance, I went, this is bigger, you know, this is bigger, much bigger, and it helps more people, not just those that have got an interest in football, but everyone. And really, since then, it's kind of just taken to where we've we've got to today, really.
0: Darren, how much do you think the crash of two thousand and seven eight a- affected your passion towards financial education? Because it feels like maybe there was a direct correlation there that you know you kind of had your dreams going one way, and then something out of your control kind of gives you a big curveball. And may I'm not saying if you knew knew more about money at the time, you would yeah. made different choices, but actually it's a warning shot to us all, isn't it? If we're not if we're not savvy about our money, then we're more yeah. vulnerable to external factors.
1: Well, it's funny you should say that. It's only through learning about finance that I can look back at that. So I knew that was happening because everyone knew, but I didn't know the implications. And, and in truth, yeah, well, i tell you what, I, I definitely felt the implications because I always tell the story that when I came back, I went to look for a job. because it was. I remember November 2008 and recruitment companies were shut. They weren't allowing people in. Now, I was lucky to have teaching. And for the next five months, while before I found the job I was, I was teaching in East London in Barking College, but on a, you know, um, supply, mm-hmm. which was a great experience. But there was a point in December, I remember, having five different jobs yeah, just to kind of piece it together. And it was a crazy, crazy time. But when you think back, I was lucky to teach because education is one of those things that you can fall back on, even in a crash, because everyone needs to be educated. But I probably didn't feel. I did feel it because I went to get commercial jobs at the time, and there were there were none around. Yeah. Um. And it it, it would have been a crazy time if that would have been the only skill set that I would have had at that time, for sure.
0: You're clearly driven. and You've got a passion, and maybe that comes from your sports background as well. And your 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 efforts and re, uh, your all your efforts were recognised and rewarded back in 2020. You were the personal finance teacher of the year award obviously your five years where you started doing your financing and starting to get recognized as what you've achieved must have been quite a proud moment can you tell us a bit about that how you got the recognition and how you felt about getting the reward
1: well initially I, I you know to be honest I'm aware there are many other financial teachers out there doing a really really good job and from a technical perspective I think I'd like to think I'm pretty grounded I'm probably not the best technical teacher but in terms of what the award does, it probably says a lot about my intentions more than anything um, because, and I think that is probably the best thing to say to everyone because teaching is subjective. You know, you can get an offsite inspector come in and they say, you can be good, bad, different depending on what they like, what they ascribe to, what they resonate with. And also the group of students that you have, like I, I'm very, I, I would say I'm better with six form students at that level, but put me in front of year sevens, I am not. I'm not an award-winning teacher, you know. So it's, it's purely subjective. And, we, and I think people need to recognise that. And I wanted to put that. My intentions are huge. And probably that is significant. But there's loads of teachers out there doing just as good a job. But, you know, ha- haven't put themselves forward. Now, going back, I, I'm just very lucky that um, Andrew Craig, back last summer, um, I we were in lockdown. And um, I, I wanted to... In March that year, actually, I I delivered to Year 11's an assembly on finance, on compounded interest. And I delivered it, and I just delivered the thing that I thought was important. You know, the, the fact that the biggest message that was in that assembly was that you are at a bigger advantage than every teacher in this room. You are at a bigger advantage than your parents and all that stuff, so straight away, they lock in. They go, how, how are we better? We're, we're told that we're never better than our parents and our teachers Or well, your age, for a fact. Got time. And yeah. if you have time and you do this diligently, you will be a millionaire. There, there is nothing stopping you in this current quantitative easing where there's loads of money, but if you are disciplined, you, and I put the charts up and all that stuff. So, delivered it in that way obviously Einstein the eighth wonder of the world compound interest is here so they bought it all into that it was um it was who wants to be a millionaire so all of these kind of things resonate with them and they're like right okay we want a bit of that anyway at the end of it I've got a round of applause now I know the year group the year 11 group were quite they're a really good year group coming through and I thought ah, oh, it's just that and then the head of year 11 came through and she went no one ever gets a round of applause, <laughs> you know I and mean? they. I was like, so where did that come from? Like, and there were one or two students. I'm really inspired now. I can do this. I, I feel like more in control and all that. So that was like that triggered in me, and it was so funny on that particular day. That was the record of the Dow Jones dropping significantly because right. yeah. it popped up on my computer on my laptop while I was delivering it, and I went, "Right, there you go." That was a time to buy. <laughs> And I remember, I, I remember stating that to the people when they're in there um but then that kind of clicked in and I went right so we went into lockdown after that and and the year 11s is just a year group in our school would be about 200 people and then during lockdown the school was really good and they started to deliver online assemblies to keep students engaged and I'm looking at this I'm going I see maths being done English being done LGBTQ being done all the things that are relevant in society and then um We got the business, Uh, business was asked uh, three months later. So, you know, July. So the initial push, you know, where we are in terms of priorities, which is fine. I understand that. And then uh, the head of business went, I'm not doing that. I said, I will. I've got an absolute idea. I will go and I will put something online for everyone. And at that stage, um, I just kind of made uh, an acquaintance with Andy Craig, who is like the author of how to own the world. And he's a big investment banker. He's has a company planning English finance. And he's done really well. He's, he's like best selling author on Amazon and, and he's now doing that. So I, I include him in this online. So I meet him like we are speaking now on Zoom. And um, I say, right, can I do an interview with you? And you tell me your investment, you know, how you invest, what investment is and all that. So I can give that to the students. Can I also have nine of your books so that we can offer that as a prize to the students that engage with it from year seven all the way through to year 13? Blinding. Yep, so fine. So I do the, the whole assembly based, not too different to what I did on March, but I had the extra caveat of Andy Craig. But also on top of that, I interviewed the year seven, year eight, year nine, all the heads so they could give their information on their money tips, saving tips. So we had saving tips. And then just to finish it off, we had Andy Craig finishing it with the investment tips to bring it all together. So, yeah, you know, it was it was exposed to 1400 students, which are in our school. And we got a bit of traction, quite a bit of traction, if anything, just for the book, you know, and it was a signed book and all that stuff. So we, we finished that and that was the end of the summer. And it was a lot of work. But it was worth doing just from that viewpoint because it's it's a good experience to do that stuff and know how to use technology. I was all, you know, as soon as technology came through a March, I was like, well, this is what we've got to get into. So I was quite enthusiastic by that anyway. Back in, I don't know, September, um, a lot of stuff had happened during the summer. And then Andy Craig gets in touch with me and goes, you should go for this. So the the, the, nom- the nomination of the Interactive Investor and I went, I looked at it and I was like, no, you're being too no, 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 no. You need to look at you need to, you need to go for it, see it as a form of leverage for your message. And I was like, and it was that, the leverage term just went, okay, fine. And then I when I looked into it, five grand for the school, I went, oh, I probably got a decent chance here because the platform that enabled me with the online lesson and all that stuff, I thought. Because I, th- I thought, I can't pull a lesson because they asked for a lesson. I went, I can't pull a lesson because, again, I don't see myself as the best teacher. Technically, the best teacher, I don't. But my, my intentions, as I've stated, are very good. And I thought, no, that online assembly will give me half a chance. And it, it was that that I wrote down. And, and that's where I am today and why we're having this discussion. But I think if it wasn't for Andy Craig <laughs> bringing me up on, a, on September, like in September and going, I think you should go for this. And I went...
0: One. well sometimes down is other people's eyes and they see it different to how you sit we're in the middle of it doing it so if you don't necessarily see all the impact you're having and mm. the bigger picture stuff and someone outside will see that so fair play for Andy for recognizing it and for pushing yeah. you because like you say it does leverage the message and that's what this is all about it is about just trying to bang a drum for financial education and you've certainly done yeah. that so well well done to you and the one thing I keep writing down here is just passion it comes shining through down your passion for the topic and for your mm. students and trying to make a difference and I, I've heard you on a couple of things recently talking about something that you're passionate about, clearly, and that's some of the, you know, the other side to this whole financial education, some of the dangers out there with the progression of social media, especially around young people. Can you talk a bit about your views on that and see some of, maybe some of the concerns that you have around social media and financial education? The social
1: media has happened, and it's happening so quickly around us that people are not adjusting possibly as quick as they should be. So the kids are, the young people are, because it's new. Whereas we as slightly older people are not because we've got a paradigm that we stick to and that's what we know and it's harder to do. But I think, as I keep saying to the students, I said, in, I said it to it last week, actually, is that I gave them a vision of the world, right? So augmented reality where this guy was walking through the street and on their glasses and stuff like that, they had like something like Jarvis out of Marvel talking to them as to what they were doing and when they were doing it. They could transfer digital money across to people like just it was amazing to watch and I'm like loving it because I love all that stuff because I'm a believer that tech should complement you know you should look at it as a complement because we can do so many things as human beings that are not administration tasks because of IT so let's do it and let's get on with the real deal stuff that we need to but anyway freak the students out and I went don't be my mum and dad Right, my mum and dad are the best. Best example, I use them all the time. They don't even know how to use WhatsApp. It is one of the most frustrating things in the world. Ever. That's what they tell you. Oh uh, <laughs> no, no, no! no that, honestly, honestly, I, I, spent, I had a tutorial with them just before lockdown, an hour, two hours. I'm a teacher. I still can't teach. Them. They're still not using WhatsApp. It's just like, but I, I said to the students, you do not want to be like that. You can have to run with the punches. So bearing that in mind, so coming back to the question, social media is an issue because it's so quick, right? We're a generation that it used to take a week to wait for the number one song to come on with a cassette, right? So we'd record it with a cassette and it takes a week. And then if we got to it, uh, top 40, you'd get to your number one, Beyonce, whoever you want to call it. And... You'd record it and you'd have to double record it on the cassette and sometimes it wouldn't stick sometimes it would and then just to kill it off there'd be an advert in the middle right now yeah. right. so you'd have to do it again next week these kids aren't used to that and they if they want Beyoncé they can they can go hey Google can I have Beyonce song and up it comes that is reflected in finance as well what it is is that is reflected in finance as well because um, it's easy, and the social media thing made things look easy, and people want it now. It's that instant gratification thing, and they think people become a millionaire like that, and that's what they see, and that, that's what's portrayed, and that that is that is part of the issue. And then obviously the the throwback on that is because we. You know, we can take a video, we can uh, write things down and it can be portrayed to the world in one second. Everything else around that seems to be, you know, similar. And so if we see someone making a million, well, how comes I, I haven't made a million yet? And then they don't realise the graph behind it. And social media is not very good at showing the graph you know, like the iceberg, you know, they, they show the top of the iceberg, but not the deep iceberg, the 80% that goes into it. And, and and they're the things that kind of that kind of go with it in terms of social media. So they see quick wins. Social media is all about getting likes and followers. Quick wins sells on social media. Tough work, hard work does not. Everything that's a fundamental of finance, which is slow, steady, build your bricks, compound steady, we'll get there in the end, that's not sold on social media. It's hard to, it's, it's a hard medium to
0: do. So how important, Darren, is it for the role of teachers then? Because you positioned it really well, and I never really thought about it. I, I've not been in a classroom teaching full-time for over seven years, so it's easy for me to sit on the outside and start making like demands mm. from teachers. But uh, and it probably wasn't as heavy seven years ago when I was teaching because social media, okay, it was out there, but you had a bit of Facebook and whatever else. And, but the kids weren't this all over it at that time, but it certainly is they didn't necessarily even have phones back then. They, they yeah. certainly do now. So how, how much of a role of teaching now is about trying to provide the other side to that equation? So the, the real side, the, the graft and hard work side, as opposed just to the polished, nice images that you see on social media. And if that is part of the teacher's role, how do you do it and, and keep it engaging mm-hmm. still? Because teachers, students don't just want to hear about the hard work, do they, they just want to, just want to yeah. see the results? Yeah, well, there's a vast majority of the
1: students, particularly in the class that I teach with finance, particularly in year 12s, that are a bit more savvy. And they will go, is it too good to be true? And if it is too good to be true, it generally is. And there is the vast majority. And I think sometimes, again, it's sensationalism. You know, there's the 20% or 10 percent that will lose a load of money, one in that high. But these people have probably got an innate DNA that would be, if it wasn't on the um, stocks and shares, it would be on the betting apps. So it is that. And because you've got two ends of the spectrum, I think you've got those that will jump in and take the risks without realising it. Then you've got the other end where they go, oh, that's too risky. They're aware, so, the, you know, it's, it's funny, you've got this polarising event where you've got one end, risk takers, the other end, not going to do that because one end, they see the, the, the good end, they see all the money, the band end, see the people that haven't lost the money and that kind of, there's nothing in between. Mm. So what, it's really good because I've, um because of the way the school year has panned out is that with LRBF, we've delivered early. All right, so we've delivered everything early and that's given me a really good opportunity to teach the kids how to portfolio manage. It's come from um, also lessons to develop mortgages. So, so like this is your deposit. If you start now, a mortgage deposit is pretty realistic, but you've got to start now. And then you start teaching the portfolio stuff and you teach now. But the thing is, the kids came back to me and they went, well, can we know a bit more how we use our CTF fund? Brilliant. I went, excellent. So we look at the child trust fund, you should have about between a grand to fifteen hundred to start with. That's a really good chance to get involved and then start compounding. And the vast majority of the students in this classroom last week went, I feel a lot more relaxed about this. I think it's doable. And you and all of a sudden it's but that takes time. So going back to your question, how do you do it? You do have to um, take time. But I also think you need to make it relevant because when they're 16 17 18 I think that's a good age because they start to see the other side of school now we can teach uh, finance and we do teach finance but I think it's the basics like what to you know how money works and all that kind of stuff to help them but actually from 15 maybe 16 how do you start saving it how do you start looking at it? making it relevant your life you know if you're 15 in 10 years time you could want a mortgage 10 years' time for me, I'm 55. Do, do you get what I mean? It's it's a different... They, the, the level of change they're about to go through is far bigger than the one I'm about to go through. And they need to be ready for that. But they don't start thinking about that to probably two years before the end of school. It starts in their background. And we I guess we need to build relevance. Now, in preparation for this, I thought, well, what can we kind of come up with? And I thought, with all the UBI coming out from... Government at the moment, wouldn't it be great if the government was also be able to give some money to young people at fifteen, and lock it into them until twenty five, to even thirty, and get them to invest, get them to save with that money, and it'd be only at that point when it would be released, and it, straight away you're training people to be savers, and then on top of that you've got a load of financial educationalists like us that are getting people prepared for this. My God, would that make society a lot better? You know, so you've got things like that. And it was just something that came to me. I went, we've got all this UBI, but we're giving money away without no training. Why don't we give some money away, but with some training and incentive behind it to do it?
0: I think and, you've yeah. answered one of my last questions, which is about what would you change? You've changed one thing around the world of financial education, but we'll come back to that in a second. That's all right. Um, mm. so, so it's fascinating what you're saying. Like, I couldn't agree more with the stuff you, you know, you're talking about and how you're going about it. And also the challenges that you face. I do think that historically it was just a case of trying to, help educate young people around some of the terms and language around money and that was actually quite easy seven eight years ago because you just had to get them engaged and try and make it fun like you said and make it personal and relevant but i think your challenge is harder now because you are competing with social media and that's got a powerful message do you have any experience of seeing social media where that it's being misused. I mean, and there really are messages going out to, to, to young people that really are factually incorrect or could even be considered quite dangerous. And I don't want to get us in trouble here by naming anyone no. particular or anything, but no. just generally speaking, is that a concern or, or am I over worrying about that? No,
1: no, 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 no. You, you're right to, but again, that's that's been sensationalised. socialised. I think the TikTok craze has brought that to the fore. There are people out there giving 15 seconds to 60 seconds or even three minutes, depending on how many followers they have, Right, which is a big thing. So, again, it's clickbait. right? Clickbait, if we can sensationalize wins, we get clickbait. So it kind of is, 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 is a terrible circle that we go into. But, yeah, it isn't good. It isn't good to people that just want quick wins. And TikTok has that. But TikTok are also aware of this, where they've got learn on TikTok. So they've, they've got a series of hashtags and all that. And, you know, the more I looked into it, they have got it there. But the thing is, there are people losing a lot of money um, by just chasing stocks. And it's been seen where we probably it's been a perfect storm where people have got more time on their hands. The you know, phones have come in front of them. You know, there's sites out there that allow you to trade on platforms when they're, they're under 18. You know, so there's all kinds of things going on that kind of lends itself to that for, for speed. And again, with technology, the, the issue with technology and social media is everything gets quicker. And businesses want fluidity of money. That's what they want. They want fluidity of decision. But with that, there's the flip side. There's the flip side. So as much as we can put money into, you know, betting companies or trading companies, there are companies out there that are coming out, really smart tools, as we know, banking tools that are helping with your budget budgeting and all that kind of stuff. So it's the flip side is there, but again, you know, when young people see what's on social media, they want that and they want that now. And they think they can get that now and they don't see work that goes into it. But I just came across an app over the weekend, which I thought was really good in investing app, that every time there was a 10% drop in the price, then they would transfer some of your money into that. So it's almost buying a dip for you. right? So taking away the kind of the, the psychological aspect, which is the biggest killer when it comes to investing and buying a dip, buying a dip. And obviously I need to have a look into it more, but those kind of tools need to be manifested. But the problem is buying a dip, doing it long-term, takes four years or 30 years. It doesn't take these kids that are coming on with, you know, Lambos and all that kind of stuff where they've made, I don't know, 10,000 pounds or 20,000 pounds in two minutes. Problem is they don't tell the story of how they've probably lost 25,000 and are in serious Overdraft damage, and that that was um, actually shown in the last cryptocurrency crash, um, where f- from about December to April there was a massive bull market going on, and then in May, you know, the rug was pulled, and all of a sudden you see the, the pictures on TikTok were totally different. there's people jumping up and down going, "I've lost all this money. How am I going to deal with this?" You know, and people actually not being able to live as a result because people getting so excited that it was going to go to the moon. that they were putting their credit card on it. Remortgaging, you know, you hear stories like that and you go, hang on a minute. But that is the one to 2%. But again, you know, as financial educators, can we stop that? And also you've got on top of that, the people that aren't going in there, there's a fear of missing out and they're getting exposed. They're they're feeling down on themselves, depressed on themselves. But then there's a depression and then there's quite an anti, uh, an anti-relationship with money as well. So the relationship with money becomes quite anti also.
0: Your point about, you know, the long-term strategy is always a safe one, isn't it? Because I I think sometimes, again, with younger people, the long-term thing could be six to 12 months. Actually, we're talking six to 12 years plus, you know, but time goes really quickly. And actually, like you said, if if you're 15 now, actually 30 is not going to be a million miles away and you need to be in the best position possible to be able to put down the mortgage or whatever else. So it's got to start early. It also feels like, you know, and this is probably you the know, history of business, where the consumer is always behind the curve a little bit, so the industry is a little bit ahead of them, and I think maybe social media has amplified that, where we're still playing catch-up. I wonder how. what do you think maybe that financial education will look like in the next five to ten years and how it might change? I guess social media might play a part in that, but do you, do you see there being you know, different products, different communications, different ways in which to get the message across as a teacher? Do you see your teaching your teaching yeah. change, changing?
1: Yeah, I don't know whether in 5, 10 years, but it's certainly going to change. Because, again, technology, like, we've been put into this COVID-19 and things have been sped up by like, probably 10 years. I think 2030, for me, seems to be a massive period of time when you've got ESG, electric vehicles, 5G, like, you know, I, I talk to my young nieces and I say, I think you're going to be the last people to actually learn to drive because after that, we, we, we're not going to be at that point. So, in terms of edu- how that works with education is I think we're going to get to a more automated basis where things we're, we're doing it now. So there's there's companies like Wealthify that actually just take money out for you and dollar cost average or pound cost average for you naturally. That's really good stuff if, if people can get, get to that. And I pretty much like buying a dip, that, that kind of tool that I, I talked about before as well. But in terms of financial education. Um, there is talk like VR headsets, right So when VR came out um, a few years ago, it was, oh, it was it was a novelty and it was like okay this is this is cool. But now what's to say and there is technology out there so at the moment they're giving VR headsets to people and you're going into a place in Las Vegas, right So you're in this virtual reality land with people all over the world enjoying Las Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. So Calvin Harris is playing music and everyone's listening to it and you're in your living room or wherever in England, but you're in Las Vegas and you're enjoying it with people from all over. Because how many friends do we have now that we've never met before, you know, or acquaintances that we've never met before? So let's put a VR headset on and make it even more, you know, a greater reality. Now, then you're using that idea. Why not? It goes to the point where you can get in the classroom. And why can't you be taught by the best teachers in the world? Why? Do you know what I mean? If you're, if you're a motivated learner, let's not get away. There's kids out there that need help and they need social help and all that stuff. But motivated learners, 14, 15, 16, put a VR headset on and get taught by Warren Buffett. The teacher's become a rock star. Do you know what I mean? And what you've got then is you've got 4,000 people listening to the best teacher. I know it's a bit out, but it's, it's possible. Only during COVID, it was like, it came to me. I was watching, I was watching this thing and this teacher brought education to the kids. So he taught a lesson on Minecraft. He got into a room in Minecraft and he actually started writing on a board, on a, no, it was on a window, dusty window. And he started having a maths lesson with them. And they all engaged because that's what they taught. He was struggling to get them during lockdown, but he then went, you know what, let's do this Minecraft. And because of the novelty, they got on. Now, not IT is a novelty and that's the problem what happens when it wears off, but you need quality teaching to go with that. And obviously you've got then uh, tools that technology can bring to bring that augmented reality together or the VR reality. But again, there were benefits. The motivated students during lockdown really benefited, really, really benefited. They enjoyed the experience because they were able to concentrate and it became individualized learning.
0: I think that's potentially where we could be going in the future. It's an interesting time, right? Because no one would have wanted the pandemic and no one wished for it and everything else. I do think in some ways, it's, you know, it's made us look at ourselves and reflect a little bit on how we use tech and especially in education, because that was a massive challenge, wasn't it? And you'd hope that maybe one of the benefits of this when it comes out the other end is actually we embrace all the good stuff and build on that. Yeah. And therefore the you know, the students get a better experience because of it. And, to, and teachers it. as well, right? Because it's not been easy for you guys. You've had to really yeah. embrace this yeah. and, and think on your feet. So fair yeah. play to everyone that's managed to make it work. Now you may have asked this already, but I'm going to ask it again just in case you want to mention something else. But um, one question we we're going to ask all our guests, you, you being the first external guest, yeah. um, if Thank there you. was one thing you could change about financial education, what might that be?
1: I guess it, I, I, this is, I had to think about this and it's the CTF fund or the child trust fund has come to an end. And what they did to replace it was a junior ISA. But the junior ISA is great, but it has no money. How many people do we know? in this country that can afford nine grand a year to get tax-free savings and investments, from it, right? How many people do we know that can then actually, if they had nine grand a year, be able to invest it effectively, all right? Not many, not many if at all. And that's something we need to address. Now, again, there's massive inequalities in our society and what a good way of, you know, we're talking about UBI, we're talking about all this kind of stuff. Let's make the UBI UBI work. Not, not just give necessarily handouts, and people do need handouts. But in terms of education, can we give education handouts and build upon that? And like we just talked about earlier, the relevance it becomes relevance when it's real. Yeah. How many people? Uh, you know, I know people talk about demo accounts on trading and stuff like that. They they can be great as a demo trader, but when it comes to the real invested, the, the performance drops massively. So give the kids some money give the kids some responsibility if they do well give them some incentives there's there's nothing to say that there's incentives along the way and if we really want to build a society where it's independent individual because we are getting towards that level i think technology and all that stuff i think there's there's something in there i definitely think there's in there and it was only one I, f- I thought about this so I went, hang on a minute that's where the government could really help great so answer, yeah
0: Darren. great answer thank you very much Well, you've been awesome. I really appreciate it. Your passion comes shining through. You've been, you know, been a real credit to French education. Uh, We're proud of what we do at LIBF because we, we provide the platform, but we need people like you out there with a real passion and drive to bring it to life and make it work. And I, I, I'm fortunate to see teachers all the time, you know, that, that deliver our qualifications in schools and colleges and the, the ones that have that energy and drive for it, you see the best success. And it goes not just to the students, but it goes around the school. It goes back to parents at home as well. And it make, it generally makes a significant difference to have these, these these children's futures, you know, and their kind of whole confidence around the subject of money. So thank you so much for doing such a great job. It is really appreciated. I know listeners will be keen to find out more about what you're doing and what your plans are particularly when you get your, your VR4000 students logging on to <laughs> <Fine> sessions. If <laughs> there's anyone out there,
1: there. <laughs> if, any, if they, I'm sure there's entrepreneurs out there that are already on it. I d- yeah. doubt it because oh. You know, inflate. What was it? So, uh, it is deflationary. So it makes it cheaper. So there's margin for entrepreneurs out there. It's coming right. It if, <laughs> if that is the case, so I'm not the because I'm a teacher. But the the idea is there, and there's entrepreneurs out there that can make this
0: happen. Well, I can see out there doing your doing your show and stuff. I'll, I'll be watching your your seminars you deliver across the globe from Vegas. Uh, uh, don't don't tell find- my mum that.
1: Yeah. do not tell my mother. that's the You'll last person she- <laughs> Yeah, I'll leave her on WhatsApp trying to work that one out
0: <laughs> but Dan, if people want to find out more about you and reach out and say hi or something is there a good way to get to you
1: yeah um, I'm on Twitter at the underscore IFA Edu which is E-D-U at the end you can find me on LinkedIn for sure um, Darren Collins again and I've got the abbreviations M I L so M L I B F and M B A as a result of uh, recently passing as a independent financial advisor. So I'm qualified in that as well at the moment. Working on my mortgage advising at the moment, but that's hell on earth, so we won't go there. And <laughs> also, um, Instagram, Darren J. Collins or Facebook. So yeah, I'm thank you. More so than much
0: happy to help you've been a star we'll put um your twitter link in the show notes people can find that as well and get you if they need to but thank you so much for everything it's really appreciated and if you're up for it maybe we can get you on again for a second episode at some point in the future if that's all right
1: brilliant that would be perfect i would like that yeah i would like that yeah
0: thanks darren thanks see you soon take care bye-bye thank you for listening to this episode we hope you enjoyed it and if so please remember to leave a review and share to find out more about the work we do at LIBF and our French education qualifications, please contact us or visit our website. All details can be found in this episode's show notes.